There is a library that exists at the nexus where all other universes collide. Inevitably, things wind up there by mistake. Books, artifacts, people. This is the place where things from all universes end up when they get lost. This is the Eternity Archives. Welcome to the Eternity Archives, an actual play podcast where we take on the role of archivists working for an interdimensional library that catalogs and protects the fabric of reality. As archivists, we're tasked with journeying out into the realms, taking on characteristics of people from that reality, and remedying whatever issues may be causing a disturbance in that particular dimension. In this chapter, we're going to be playing Lancer. And in this episode, we'll discuss some of the rules and mechanics of the game before creating our character sheets and diving in. But first, we're going to take a moment to introduce ourselves. I'm Dorka, my pronouns are she, her, and my character is Zen, the big buff lizard princess. But instead of playing, I'm going to be the anchor for this episode. And for our thematic fun fact, since we're playing Lancer, we're all going to talk a bit about our favorite giant robots. This is a self-indulgent question for me, because I am a huge fan of Transformers. My favorite giant robot is Windblade. She's a kick-ass Autobot who's uh, a little newer. She was actually created by the fans through a series of polls, and I have like 15 different toys of her. I love her very much. Good grief. (laughs) (laughs) Hey there, my name is Bappy. My pronouns are they, them. Uh, My character is Real Daytrakel, who is a little tiefling nerd baby, and I guess also... Dumpling, sort of. I think we all kind of play Dumpling. Uh, (laughs) Dumpling is within all of us. For my favorite giant robot, ooh, this is hard because, hmm, because I really like Gundam and I really like Zoids and I really like um, other anime that also have giant robots. I like Pacific Rim. God, someone pick it for me because I don't, I don't know. Uh, I'll say the Unicorn Gundam, because I think it, it has a very interesting design, where kind of a, f- I guess, interesting fact for people who don't know, Gundams tend to have a uh, standard kind of like red, white, blue, yellow design, because that's like the main thing based off the original Gundam in the first TV series. Uh, but the Unicorn Gundam is like all white, and it has like glowing edges, basically. So it's like it looks boring as fuck, and then it goes in a kick-ass mode, and then it starts like glowing like either green or red, depending on which kick-ass mode it's on. I think Ziva can get behind anything called unicorn. I'm literally googling <laughs> it right now because you said unicorn. I have pictures of the life-size unicorn Gundam that they built in Tokyo when my wife and I were there for our honeymoon a few years ago. Oh my oh, that's gosh. that's cool as shit. Please... I will share them. Yes, thank you. Yeah, we'll post them on our Twitter or something. Hi, everyone. I'm Ziva. My pronouns are she, her. My character is Linda, the lovable human office lady. Um, So I have a slight confession, which is I'm not actually a huge fan of giant robot media. I don't know why I could never really get into it. I do like Pacific Rim, but I think that's probably more just that I'm amazed by like the technical wizardry of the giant sets. So then for my giant favorite robot or favorite giant robot, my choice would be Mekashiva from the Venture Brothers, which does (laughs) technically count. I'll allow it. 
Yeah, thank you. All right. And so now for the first time ever, we have a guest player joining us. Genevieve is actually the one who put Lancer on my radar. She messaged me about a year ago and showed me the game and said, you have to run this game for me. So now I finally am. Uh, Genevieve, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? My name is Genevieve, pronouns she, her. I am honored to be the Eternity Archive's first guest archivist. My archivist is the disaster human Desdemona, who everyone's sort of heard of, but not in a good way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She's the library's fuck up. And in terms for my favorite giant robot, I guess I have to go on brand. I am also a big Transformers fan. And my favorite giant robot is RC from Transformers, particularly her comic incarnation from the 2005 to 2019 IDW comic series. I'm not biased. (laughs) But yeah, a giant magenta murderous sword wielding trans lesbian robot is exactly my speed all right (laughs) now we're about to talk about the rules and mechanics of lancer if you know the game pretty well we're probably not going to say anything you haven't heard before so if you want to skip ahead to character creation that starts at about 36 minutes and 50 seconds if you don't care about that either and want to skip ahead to the actual play that will start at about 54 minutes and 30 seconds But as always, if you want to stick around, we'll probably have some pretty cool stuff to say about this system. So, Lancer is a fairly new sci-fi TTRPG created by Miguel Lopez and Tom Parkinson Morgan, and published on Itch in 2019. The setting is described as a mix of gritty mud and lasers military science fiction and mythic science fantasy. The Lancer lore is very cool and very detailed, but for the sake of time, we're not going to get too deeply into it on this podcast. I promise you won't need to know any of it for the campaign to make sense, but it's worth checking out for yourself. The important thing to know for now is that humanity is in space thousands and thousands of years from now, and a few of those humans are Lancers, who are pilots of custom-built combat mechs. I actually am of the opinion that there's a little bit too much lore in the book. There's a lot of lore like in the back of the book, over a hundred pages of it. And that does make getting into the game a little overwhelming if it's your first time, which is why we're going to go a little um, less lore heavy with this one. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like the exact opposite of 13th Age in a lot of different ways, just to like call back to one of our more recent um, arcs. But this is definitely one of them. 13th Age was like, here's a very little bit of lore. It's really high level stuff. And then you do the rest. And Lancer's like, here's like in-depth stuff about everything, which is really cool if you're one of those people who like loves to immerse yourself. But if you're just trying to learn, it's like, oh boy, I'm just going to look at the pictures and like, like read some SRDs. Yeah, that's like what I love and hate about science fiction, I think. You guys are honestly more cultured than I am and probably indulge in more kinds of media in general, but uh, also specifically sci-fi, just because, you know, a lot of it is about getting into the science of it, right? So it's going to be like wordy and verbose and stuff like that, even in like a lot of Gundam anime, which is science fiction, but it's more it's almost like a military drama as well. And there just happens to be giant robots. Even some of those dialogues are like very heavy on like the politics of the world or like when they're like fighting and they're like about to launch 
the Gundams forward, uh, it's a lot of like, attack coordinates, 53 to 5B, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, I don't understand any of that, but um, <laughs> that that is like very much a science fiction thing, which, you know, as Dorka said, can be very difficult to get into. But I like the kind of themes and stuff of science fiction. I wish there was a lower barrier of entry for people like me who, who brain stop working when big word, many pages. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also like, there's just so much of it built into Lancer. Like I was playing in a in another Lancer game recently as a player. And, you know, it was my first time and I just like picked a mech that I thought was cool and had no idea that there's like baggage and lore surrounding like the manufacturers of that mech that led other characters to make assumptions about my character that I was not expecting. Right. So yeah, sometimes the lore does make it a little hard to kick stuff off. Mm -hmm. For me, it was Dorka is like my tabletop RPG like mom. In so much as, like, she ran my first 5e game that's still ongoing. This is my second TTRPG, like, campaign of anything ever. This is going to be a disaster. Anyway, I felt like there was so much lore baked into how you build pilots and your characters and your mech that it almost would have been nice to have a little bit more of that lore up front. Like, not the hundreds of pages in the back of the book, but, like... Like, right in that character creation section. Or, like, there's so much time, art, and intention in putting together this system, and, like, I backed the Kickstarter, so, like, I have the book. It's, like, I kind of would have loved a intro comic or something that could have integrated a lot of this stuff in a sort of more narrative, sort of like a lazy couch potato way to get you into the lore. Just enough to get the idea that, like, the different manufacturers, like, have different connotations. Like, people who are aligned with them have different connotations. Lancers do different things and mean different things to different characters in this universe. Like, kind of put that page one. Yeah, I agree. So besides 5e, have you played any other TTRPGs, uh, Genevieve? I have not. This okay. is going to be a disaster. She's a little baby. A little baby, <laughs> baby that we, we will take care of. So one of the interesting things about Lancer is that it almost feels like two different games with two different sets of rules and two very different parts to character creation. First, there's narrative play, which is just whenever you're not in combat. Narrative play is pretty simple, meant to just be story and character driven, only rolling dice when you need to overcome a challenge. When you're trying to solve a problem, you simply roll a d20 and add any relevant modifiers, just like D&D or 13th Age. Mech combat, on the other hand, is the other half of Lancer, and that is far more detailed and far more complex. It's meant to be played out on a hex grid, so that'll be a challenge for this arc. I'm not going to be using any maps for this campaign, mostly because it doesn't make for interesting listening if we're relying too much on maps. So this will be a uh, an interesting exercise in theater of the mind. Yeah, honestly, I'm fine with that. Like, grids are cool and whatnot. Of course, Lancer is more kind of crunchy, and that's the point with grids, whereas, like, you know, D&D does have the distance-type modifiers. But I believe with, like, Lancer... There are like a lot of things that are specifically like pushing you back or like having aggro from like enemies on you is like grid distance based as well. Yeah, and there's a lot of rules about like cover and being behind things. And I am going to play this like I am in a Gundam show. So I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but I, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> I really 
appreciate that it's divided into two pieces, just because I think that that's like a really useful way to divide play and delineate combat. I'm not going to get too into it right now because I know we have more discussion ahead other than just to say that I have made it very clear on this podcast that I hate grid systems. And so I'm really excited to see how Lancer goes in sort of our like audio friendly approach. Um, I think the combat's really interesting. I'm a little intimidated by it just because I don't typically like grid systems. So so I'm really curious to like get in there and start playing and see what happens. Yeah. So unlike other D20 games, Lancer just takes a pass-fail approach to skill checks. So if you roll a 10 or higher, you pass, and below that you fail. So that seems like it might not be very challenging, but there are circumstances that can make rolls tougher. So if extenuating circumstances might make your roll more challenging, like if you're trying to hack into a system you've never seen before, then you would add difficulty. For each point of difficulty, you roll a d6 in addition to your d20. And those are the only two types of dice you're going to use in this game, are the d6 and the d20. And so you would roll a d6 and subtract that number from your total. But if you have some sort of advantage or another character assisting you, you can add accuracy to your roll, which is similar to difficulty. For each point of accuracy, you roll an additional d6, but this time you add the highest number to your roll. And accuracy and difficulty dice cancel each other out one-to-one before rolling. In addition to this, if the skill check is deemed risky, you still only need a 10 to succeed, but you'll still suffer consequences if you roll below 20. So it's like the partial successes we saw in Monster of the Week. You get what you want, but at a cost. And if the skill check is deemed heroic, then that's a next to impossible roll, and you'll only succeed if you roll higher than 20. I am definitely okay with any systems that do skill checks where the numbers are slimmed down a bit because I am not a huge fan of how D&D or I guess 5e does like skill checks and how it's calculated with stats where you have a base stat number but what actually matters is the modifier you get from it. So for instance if you have 18 charisma a base modifier off 18 is plus four and the number that actually matters there is the plus four. I don't believe at any point in time is there any point where you would use the 18 over the four. The 18 is just a way to calculate the bonus that you get. So it's unnecessarily confusing in my opinion to have two layers of stats like that when you only use the one layer. And so for Lancer, I like that because once again, you're just taking that one number you need. I like the pass-fail approach just because it's easier on the GM. Like in Dungeons and Dragons, a lot of times it'll ask you to set a target number for a skill check. And it's kind of hard to gauge sometimes like what that number should be. Be in a way that is fair for your players. But in Lancer, it's just, is this a normal challenge they're trying to overcome? Okay, they have to roll a 10 or higher. And I think that's a uh, nice and streamlined, especially for narrative play. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I also really like the way that they have set up the heroic and the risky checks because it adds a little bit of that narrative flavor that you see with things like partial successes and you see with things like difficulty classes where it's much more difficult to shoot a basketball from halfway across the court than it is at like the three-point line Um, and it's really really hard to shoot a basketball into the hoop from outside the building it's a lot simpler and more streamlined and it's also I think a little easier to describe in terms of like painting word pictures like risky is a lot more interesting to hear than dc 15 
Right. And it's like, I don't have to make that up on the fly if you guys are doing something that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I also like that it still uses D20 just because I think that more dice is fun. And I always get slightly bummed out when a game's like, no, you're just going to use D6s. Even if it makes (laughs) sense in terms of accessibility and it makes sense in terms of like the simplicity of roles. I just, I like rolling a d20. It's fun and it's iconic for a reason. So I always get really excited when we get to break them out. (laughs) Absolutely. So making a character in Lancer is super simple. You choose a background and you choose four triggers. So we know backgrounds by now. It's who your character was going into the game. Similar to 13th Age, in Lancer, you can argue to use your background to give yourself advantage on a roll. Invoking your background gives you accuracy. And then there are triggers. Lancer doesn't have the traditional attributes for your character, like strength and charisma, everything like that. Just these triggers, which is basically just the Lancer word for a skill. So if a role in narrative play uses one of your triggers, you just add that flat bonus to your role. And as you increase in level, you can gain more triggers or just increase the bonus of triggers you already have. And a trigger would be something like hack or fix something, or my favorite, apply fists to face. They can be pretty broad and pretty open to interpretation, and so it's up to the player to argue how their trigger applies to a situation. And Lancer also encourages you to create your own triggers if you want to, though a rule of thumb is that they should be more specific than general. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of this background system as opposed to doling out skill points. I honestly think that probably every system should move to this because I think it makes it more narratively interesting and I think it also makes it a lot simpler to explain to players who are just like building their base for RPG playing. I also think that it's a good mix of structure and creativity in Lancer because I think that it's nice that they give you some backgrounds and they give you some triggers but you can also make your own from there. So I just think that's a really nice balance between going out and just getting thrown into the deep end and being able to do things within the world that provide the flavor you want for your character. I feel like this is a really great system that sort of balances in between easy to make a character and apply it to Lancer and easy to start within the Lancer universe and make a character. This was not one where I felt like I really had to struggle to fit our characters in, which has definitely been the case. Like I know with Monster of the Week, it was like going in with a pre-made character was incredibly difficult because like everything's built around starting fresh. Yeah, and I I think from a roleplay standpoint, like the background systems like this are really fun and interesting because I think it's a lot more interesting to say, oh, I should get a bonus on this role because in my backstory, I had this happen to me. Uh, I think that's a lot more interesting than saying, oh, I get a bonus on this role because I have that skill marked down on my character sheet. Right. I'll say this as a newer player, though, is that I found, and this is based on very limited experience, that because Lancer simultaneously gives you so much freedom, but requires you to make choices and or that have consequences in using the couple of guidelines it gives you because, you know, if you choose a celebrity or an ex-soldier or whatever, it limits your triggers and you're not really given quite an idea of what other skills there might be out there is in some ways I had more trouble building a character here than I have in 5e. Yeah, I mean, Lancer is definitely a more wide open system in terms of character creation because of kind of the things that we were talking of, whereas 5e is more Lancer but like railroady, guideline-y, and, and definitely like if you're new to TTRPGs and stuff like that and are, are still kind of learning 
kind of the spirit of the games and the systems. Yeah, I can definitely see how that would be a problem for sure. I would not recommend that anyone play this as their very first tabletop game. But they're second with hand-holding. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully they're second with hand-holding or else this is going to be a real disaster. Um, And I mean, I don't know if I would have been able to build a character without CompCon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I wouldn't have been able for sure. (laughs) And this isn't even my second game with hand-holding, so... (laughs) So CompCon, for everyone out there, uh, is a free online app that is made by the developers of Lancer. Um, We'll have a link in the show notes. It is an invaluable tool for this game. Honestly, Lancer would be very, very hard to play without CompCon. It helps you build your character, and it will also give you like suggestions and guidelines if there's just an archetype you're going for. It'll help you build your mech, and you can basically mouse over all of the terms and statuses and tags and all of those words that mean different things, and it'll tell you exactly what that means and how that works. Use CompCon if you're playing Lancer. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. This is exactly the kind of thing that I was complaining about 13th Age not having. And 13th Age isn't like a super complicated system. It's just that everything benefits from having these kinds of things. It's why things like Roll20 and D&D Beyond are so popular and so helpful, not just for long distance play, but also because, at least for me anyway, it's a lot more useful to have references on hand and have some structure to how to build things so that you know you're not like choosing illogical stuff and you're not missing things. CompCon is enormously helpful and it made turning what we were reading in the like character creation chapters into the reality of our characters a lot more straightforward because it was just like, okay, click these like three things. Okay, because you selected those three things, here's what you can do from there. If you don't like it, press back and select three new things. And that just made my life as a new player a lot easier. I'm definitely not naive to role-playing games, but I am new to Lancer, like extremely new. And so being able to be like, oh, okay, I get it now. I get what that actually means um, was enormously, enormously important. And unlike D&D Beyond, everything on CompCon is free and available. And you can like share the characters with your friends so that they can look at your mechs. And it's really helpful for the GM. It's a very good and useful tool yeah i want every game to have one of these please what do you fucking nerds like uh accessibility so that more people can play your game oh what the (laughs) hell's that about (laughs) yeah like this is a crunchy game this is a hard game to learn but i do appreciate the effort they've gone through to make it accessible yeah it puts the effort away from making characters and making mechs and puts the effort into how do you have a good game as opposed to how do you learn the game and that for me is really huge because I think playing 13th age was an awesome experience but learning it was such a bear and I'd rather it be learning it's really easy and then playing like you get a chance to like master the GMing and you get a chance to master the characters and the world Um, I feel like that's where the effort should be. Uh, I just want to put a slash S slash JK on that. I am just kidding. Uh, Accessibility is awesome and great and things should be for everyone. Now we're going to talk about the real reason anyone plays Lancer, which is, of course, the mechs. If you don't know, somehow a mech is a piloted battle robot. And in Lancer, you basically build and customize them yourself. It's assumed in Lancer that you always have access to a mech. You can always 3D print out a new mech and you're good to go. Everyone starts with the same basic mech and equipment pool. 
But the cool thing about these mechs is that they're completely modular. Every mech has a few different slots called mounts on which you can attach different weapons and systems. So this is really the complicated part of character creation, just because there's so much you can add to your mech. You can switch things out between missions using any of the gear that you've unlocked, and as you level up, you gain access to new licenses, which offer you more choices of gear and mechs, and you can mix and match them however you want. And so that's why in Lancer, your level is referred to as your license level, because that's how many licenses you have access to. So this is the part where I was like, fuck yes, let's go. Because this is very much in the spirit of a lot of mech properties where you can kind of buy a lot of different frames and stuff like that. Like, I mean, even if you watch like Zoids, Zoids, uh, I guess for people who don't know, is a, it's an anime on a world where there's kind of sentient like animals that are also robots. I don't 100% know what the lore behind that is, especially since there's several iterations of Zoids, and I don't know if they're AUs of each other. But basically, there's animal mechs, and people pilot them, and that's really all you need to know. But if you can't choose between furry and robot, choose both. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but like, so like, for instance, the one that I really like, which is uh, Zoids Zero Century, that one's more of like, they're in a world where it's basically like a Colosseum battle type thing where you have teams who fight each other for points piloting these Zoids. And so like that premise of the anime is very kind of video gamey where, you know, there is a system, there's a tournament and all that stuff. And you can buy different Zoids. You can upgrade them so that's kind of what it made me think of and it also made me think of this old xbox game called phantom crash uh which had a i believe ps3 sequel called steel lancer arena international or slay for short and that's like a similar thing it's like a coliseum battle type game where you have robots and you fight each other and win money and stuff like that and so I really like the system because it reminds me of those kind of video gamey type stuff, which is awesome and really cool because like I personally can't think of like an actual video game that is good in all aspects and also has that kind of choice. Like Phantom Crash is very cool in that you can buy different parts, you can buy like different music, but like honestly that game was just like one, not very popular and two, there were definitely like weak points for it, but it's just like Lancer seems to be doing the thing that I, I personally at least want out of like a mecha video game thing so uh i appreciate that a lot because it that's cool that's that's good that's good shit as someone who's like not super into giant robots when i first started this i was like oh no what's happening there's so many things i have to choose but two things won me over one is that CopCon makes it like really straightforward and once you get your license levels high enough you can unlock more different types of robot bodies so that allows you to really specialize what you want your mech to do which was something I was much more comfortable with because it wasn't like, oh no, how do I choose a cool robot? It was like, okay, I want my character to do this, so I choose this kind of body and I have these kinds of mounts. All right, that makes sense. But also the other thing that won me over is um, you get to name it. And as soon as I named it, and I one of my things I specced into was custom paint job, I was like, okay, I love this robot. This robot is my best friend now. So it turns out it's really easy to win me over. If you let me design how it looks on the outside and you let me name it, um, I'm instantly into whatever it is. So you heard it here, RPG systems, make more swords I have to name. The mix and match modular building methods of these mechs is so expansive. Like you can have a entire party where everyone is piloting the same mech and they might not share a single piece of other equipment. 
Like, you could have four mechs that look the same, but all have completely different weapons and completely different roles. Or you can just have four totally different mechs, and some of them just look really wild and crazy. Like, the, I, I just want to say the art in Lancer is really, really cool, and you should just take a moment to look up some of those robots. Yeah, I like how there is pictures of each, like, frame of the robots. I, I think that's really cool, because, like, I feel like a lot of times in other books, just in general, not like a specific critique, you know, they don't either maybe have the funds or times or whatever to like be able to put a picture of each type of character or class or whatever. And so being able to do that with all these different robots, which, you know, mech drawings tend to be very detailed and I think intimidate a lot of artists. So it's cool that they were able to include that and really like envision it. Cause I feel like that's a big part of like mecha stuff is that it's about cool robots, like robots looking dope as shit. And like being able to envision that is um, it's good, good stuff. Yeah, it also adds a lot of flavor to the world. Because when I was flipping through it, I really got that sort of feel of both the science fiction and the science fantasy. And a lot of the like general world drawings remind me a lot of like Miyazaki robots. Like they reminds me of like, um, like Nausicaa and Castle in the Sky and stuff like that, that like really balances science fiction and science fantasy. And so that gave me like a really immersive look into the world, even without having to go through and read all the lore. And it doesn't actually have like a ton in common with the Miyazaki mecha stuff, but it is like really beautiful to look at and really just provides a good tone for the book um, and for the system as a whole. So mechs and mech combat are both very extensive. This is, as we've mentioned, a very, very crunchy, rules-heavy game. I'll try to highlight as much as I can during the actual play portion, and we'll explain as we go. But I'm going to be honest, we do not have the time to cover all of the nitty-gritty here. So I'm just going to quickly go over some of the basics. Combat in Lancer, just like pretty much every game with combat as a core mechanic, is turn-based. There's no rolling for initiative. A player character always gets to go first. And then an enemy goes, and then a player goes again, and then an enemy until everyone's taken a turn. Players get to decide where in the order they want to act. There's no fixed turn order. And once everyone has taken a turn, that's one round over and the next round begins. On a player's turn, they have a lot of options. They can move, always, and then they can either take one full action or two quick actions. Most attacks or abilities are quick actions, which means you can fire off a lot of guns per turn, but some heavy attacks and complex actions such as repairs are full actions, which take up most of your turn. There are also reactions, which happen in response to the actions of other characters. There's no limit to the number of reactions a player can take overall, but they're limited to one per turn, which means that a lot can happen for your mech even on other characters' turns. You can also overcharge your mech to take an additional quick action, but this adds heat to your mech. Heat represents your mech's internal systems heating up and melting down, and if you take too much of it, you'll start to take damage. As you can see here, there's a lot of different actions, a lot of reactions, a lot going on here, uh, and most of them are unique to certain mechs and different gear licenses. So there's a lot to keep track of and a lot to pay attention to. Like I said before, use CompCon. And as I mentioned earlier, Lancer's meant to be played on a grid. A lot of the attacks not only have specific ranges, but they also hit in different ways. Some attack in a line using line of sight. Cover is very important, ducking behind things. Some weapons can be lobbed over cover. Some weapons target an entire area of effect. We'll try and describe this all as best as we can in play, but do keep in mind that Lancer isn't really made for pure theater of the mind. 
Yeah, so I just want to reiterate, because we're not playing on a grid, just imagine that this will be uh, anime as fuck. Just pick your favorite anime, put your J-pop, J-rock track on in the background, and just pretend that's us, because that's what I'm personally going for. I don't know about these other (laughs) nerds, but you know. (laughs) I'm going to be honest, for ease of play without a grid, I'm probably going to play a little fast and loose with some of the like attack ranges and movement ranges just so that I don't have to constantly be doing the math in my head like Genevieve is three spaces away from Ziva and all of that nonsense. I do think if you're someone who really likes war games and more structured combat, that Lancer is a system that you're going to feel really comfortable with. And I feel that way about some of the older D&Ds too, especially around that 3, 3.5 level. 3 and 3.5 get a lot of criticism, and I think rightfully so, for the combat being a little bit too intricate. But it's a lot easier if you're using a grid and if you like those sort of war games. Since I am someone who doesn't, um, I'm really, like I said, interested to see how the Lancer combat's going to go. And I definitely find it a little bit overwhelming without a cheat sheet. The good news is, is that there are lots of wonderful resources out there in addition to CompCon there are some really good cheat sheets that make life a lot easier and in the actual lancer core book itself they have a cheat sheet about what all the various um, combat keywords mean so that's going to make our lives a lot easier Um, and of course yours if you're playing as well i am very interested into diving into this so despite my dislike of the grid system i haven't actually had a ton of experience with them Um, I just remember playing 3.0 or 3.5 a very, very long time ago and finding that the grid didn't add anything. It was mostly just an annoyance. But that was, again, a very long time ago. So I'm really interested to try this both in general, more recently, and also I'm excited to try this in Lancer, which is a very, very different system than Dungeons and Dragons. And I do appreciate that the book does have like a lot of combat flowcharts and um, references and a list of terms and statuses and stuff, which I feel like was something that we were really lacking in 13th Age. Yeah, I feel like they've done a good job of doing their best to be like, we love crunchy combat. We want this combat to be very intricate and intense and focused on this sort of wargaming. But also, we don't want to alienate people who aren't as familiar with this. And we don't want it to have to be like you open your encyclopedia to flip through it. They're really like, look, it's going to be fine. We want to show you the combat we like, and you're going to be able to figure it out. And I really like that. I appreciate that. Yeah, like you definitely have to have the book on hand, but it's not as difficult to like have to flip and search through it. It's much easier to find the information you need. And so there's one more thing I want to talk about about Lancer uh, that is not going to come up in our game today. Lancer is meant for, you know, long-term play campaigns. We talked about it a little bit in our Q&A tea time back in October, but Lancer, a big part of the Lancer game is downtime, which is at the end of every mission, you have downtime. This is basically a montage that your group can go through to determine what are your pilots, what are your characters doing between missions. And there's like a list of things you can do from gathering resources, meeting with contacts, uh, fixing or adjusting your mechs, gaining advantages, just a lot of different things that you can do to sort of give yourself an advantage between long missions. So because we're only doing a one shot today, there's not going to be downtime. But I do think that's a fun mechanic for longer term play. 
I think it's a nice cool down for longer sessions and um, can help the GM sort of come up with hooks for the next session when you know what your players are doing between missions. I love how much structure Lancer provides in terms of things that are sort of unspoken, good role-playing practices. Like, I think personally, as someone who really enjoys role-playing, that I think pacing your adventures and pacing your campaigns so that there's a good mix of combat and non-combat and then just, like, pure downtime to just kind of, like, bounce the characters off of each other is really important. Um, I think it provides the best role-playing hooks, and I think it's a really great way to make sure that every player is getting something that appeals to them and every character is getting a chance to show off their skills. And so I really love that Lancer is like, no, like, explicitly... All three of these things are built into the game. You should be doing all of them. And I just like really appreciate that. I just think it's it's nice. Um, of course, like if you're an experienced GM or you're a player who has a lot of experience or a lot of interest in lots of different things, you might not need like a system that like explicitly structures that. You might be able to be like, I'd like to do some of everything or I'm going to structure my campaign to do some of everything. But Lancer really sets it up so that every player is getting a taste of all of the stages, which I think is is nice. And I'd like to see more systems, if not explicitly include this, then like encourage people to be like, hey, please do all of these things. Okay. So now before we find out how Rill and Linda fit into the Lancer universe, we have a new archivist to introduce. Genevieve, you gave us a little sneak peek at the beginning of this episode, but why don't you tell us a little more about your archivist? Tell us who they are, where they're from, how long they've been in the library. I'll leave the rest up to you. Thanks, Dorka. My archivist is Desdemona, or Desi to her few friends. She's from an Earth quite like modern-day Earth, maybe even Linda's Earth. Desi has been an archivist for a while, and almost everyone has heard of her, or at least seen her scuffling around in the background. Desi has a reputation. She's a fuck-up. And no one really knows why the library keeps her around. Other not-nice archivists sometimes call her Dizzy. If the library had an HR department, they'd know Desi quite well either from other archivists complaining about her or Desi informing HR the numerous problems she's seen that she thinks could be improved. She rarely gets to go on missions because she hates roughing it. And when she does go to the more rustic worlds archivists often get sent to, she inevitably causes some sort of trouble. Unionizing dragons, accidentally causing peasant uprisings, inciting an elven race war. You get the- Oh no. She's a high-energy mess, even though her heart is always in the right place. She's also quite smart and has a lot of theories about everything that seem outlandish, but sometimes turn out to be true. She's heard of Rill, Linda, and Zen, and is very, 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 very excited to go on a mission, especially one that might not involve camping in primordial woods. (laughs) I feel like Rill and Desi could definitely get along, even though Desi seems to be very high energy just because it's like Desi seems like the type to like really like ramble on and Rill's a pretty good listener and would just like definitely like buy into all the stuff she's saying especially if she has like crazy conspiracy theories or whatever so I just like imagine they're just sitting in beanbag chairs in some kind of rec room eating cookies and Desi's just like very animatedly like talking about something and Rill's like yeah oh what (laughs) this is crazy my mind is blown (laughs) I feel like Desi is the sort that would like 
maybe impose too much on Rill entertaining her ideas. <laughs> and like after 15 minutes, Desi would be like, oh, I'll be right back. I need to dry erase board. Oh my god! <laughs> and Rill's just like, yeah, okay. Uh, good luck finding one. Uh, but I'll I'll be here. I'll you know what? I'm just gonna take a nap. That way, you know, I'll be I'll be here when you get back. So, um, okay, good night. <laughs> I want to know: Does Desi attend Linda's book club? Yeah, tell me about book club. Desi doesn't because Desi probably saw a flyer for it. Thought, oh, this sounds like fun. Put it in her enormous binder of things she wants to do and then immediately forgot about it. That's very relatable. Desi has has like object permanence problems. <laughs> uh, as someone who is like neurodivergent slash ADHD adjacent, I feel a little called out right now, but that's fine. <laughs> as someone who is ADHD, I am maybe just playing myself. <laughs> oh, I think that's what we're all kind of doing, so. <laughs> Secret. I am definitely a seven foot tall lizard. You want to be, yes. <laughs> it's true. I, yeah. I've met Dorka in real life. I can vouch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now we're going to take these characters and tell you a little bit about what they're going to do in the Lancer universe. We're going to start with narrative play. Tell me a little bit about the background and triggers that you've chosen for your characters. Sure. Okay, so the background I picked was Noble, um, which may seem strange because Rill is not a very... What is the adjective for noble? Okay, is it an adjective and a noun? Well, there you go. But as I mentioned in the 13th age background creation, Rill's family kind of had like a prestigious history, I guess, in their base universe world. So I'm just kind of carrying that over to like each world as I play. So I guess in this universe, they're not going to be dragon hunting, renowned warriors or anything like that, but they are noble and within certain circles, well known. But kind of like the hard thing with Rill, because as I mentioned, Rill's not like a very noble or regal type person, like picking the skill triggers was kind of interesting. So for that, I just picked what I feel like would fit them as a character more than what would necessarily fit their background as a noble. So my skill triggers are plus two to word on the street, plus two to hack or fix, plus four for patch, and plus four for read a situation. And my reasoning for all of those is Patch makes sense. As I mentioned, they were going to be like a medical student. They're only an undergrad, a biology undergrad, so they haven't quite gotten that far yet. Hack or fix, that's more just because they're kind of a big goofy goober who really likes uh, technology. And so while they're not doing like some cyber hacking, uh, I'm in kind of shit, like they do know their way around technology stuff. Rita situation is just because they're a skittish person, so they have kind of learned to judge people and their attitudes. And, and ticks and stuff like that. And then word on the street is also kind of, once again, they're like a big nerd dork who spends a lot of time on social media and stuff. So they're very up with the memes. That's that's what plus two word on the street is for. It's just, it just translates to memes. They spend a lot of time on Twitter or whatever the Lancer equivalent to Twitter is. What is Rill's call sign? Ah, yes. The call sign for Rill is ghost, which sounds very cool. But the reason I picked that was because like a ghost, they stay inside a house all day in the dark and they won't bother you as long as you don't bother them. As long as you don't say their name a bunch of times. Yeah, as long as you're not like, uh, uh, real, give me a sign. Saying their name makes them angry. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, real does not want to be perceived much like a ghost. 
<laughs> Rasper the antisocial ghost. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, who's next? So Linda was a little difficult to map on at first point because there's not like the Lancer equivalent of a bard. So the background I ended up choosing was Spec Ops because I thought that if Linda was anything in this universe, a spy makes a lot of sense because spies aren't just like sneaky, sneaky experts. They're also really good at like talking to people and figuring out how to ingratiate themselves and get information that they couldn't get otherwise. And that seemed to make sense for Linda. So I ended up sort of coming up with a build for her that is both a little on the sneakier side, but also very focused on like the more typical charisma things. So then the triggers that I chose for her were investigate, act unseen or unheard, take someone out, word on the street, charm, and survive. So basically, I built Linda up as someone who can, you know, gather information, she can charm people, she can figure out what's going on, and then she can kind of sneak around and um, use some skills to kind of survive weird situations and um, be able to get what she wants out of them. And so um, with that in mind, her call sign is Snow Leopard because Snow Leopards are very sneaky and very good at um, surviving in harsh environments and getting around unseen. Unlike Linda, Snow Leopards are very antisocial, but Snow Leopards are also extremely cute and I love them, so Snow Leopard it is. Yeah, Linda is such a fluffy girl. Who's a fluffy girl with a yeah. fluffy tail? <laughs> Linda picked that call sign because she just really likes cats. Yes, yes, that is somewhat my choice. They nixed Garfield, so she was like, fine, I'll pick another cat. Oh, wait, quick question. One of her triggers was take someone out? Yes. Like on a date or like on a murder? Like on a murder. It can be interpreted how you want. That's fair. It also could be disable someone quickly and quietly, which I feel like makes more sense with Linda. um, Because she can be like very like sneakily passive aggressive if she wants to be. So I don't think it's like a total leap of logic that she could like sneak up behind you and like give you the Vulcan neck pinch in this (laughs) universe. I don't think Linda like in the library is a terribly sneaky person, but she also doesn't have to be. What I really like about Linda is that like she is such an average person. Like she's literally just a person from Earth. And like, I feel like a lot of times that trope is played for like laughs, like, oh, here's like this bumbling fool who doesn't know how to do shit. But it's like, no, Linda like acts like your nice Midwestern office lady, but she is competent and uh, will commit murders if she has to. And, and that doesn't like <laughs> undermine her average personness at all. And I, I just like how you, you play both those in conjunction because it's just very funny. Just like that contrast of like, uh, here's this nice woman who will make you cookies and call you sweetheart and also she will i don't know hide a body for you yeah hide a body for yeah. you <laughs> have any of you watched crazy ex-girlfriend no, i have not I have not okay well for any of our listeners who may have watched crazy ex-girlfriend linda is paula now i need to watch this i recommend it <laughs> it's a very good show actually uh so genevieve tell us about desi's background and triggers and her call sign this is Desi's redemption arc. <laughs> Let's go! <laughs> I mean, to give you the idea of the type of archivist Desi is, is she has big side quest energy that usually gets the job done, but not without kind of causing a lot of chaos on the way. 
Like if she needs to get something from a king's vault, rather than doing anything that would remotely give her and her fellow archivist access to it, she incites a peasant uprising. And once the king has been disposed, the king's vault is open for everyone. So she knows her reputation. She knows that people behind her back call her dizzy. And she's tired of sort of being maligned. So she's gonna be trying a, a bit too hard on this mission. So for her, I chose the background of celebrity because celebrity can go both ways. But for all her triggers, I took very assertive triggers in order to sort of feed into this, like Desi's gonna be trying too hard. I gave her plus two for take control, plus two for threaten. Oh my God. <laughs> plus two for assault. <laughs> plus two for read a situation. Plus two for pull rank and plus two for take someone out. Her call sign is Disaster, which was one of her first nicknames at the library, but everyone stopped calling her that when she kind of liked it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Rill and two uh, murderers. Not, I, well, I wasn't going to say murderers, but yes, murderers. <laughs> you, you can take the murder hobo out of Dungeons and Dragons, but you can't take... Dungeons and Dragons out of the... Yeah, that breaks down somewhere. <laughs> you can take Murder Hobo out of Dungeons and Dragons, but the Murder Hobo will just find another game to murder in. <laughs> this is a Desi who just wants to get to her goal. She is here to redeem herself. No side quests. No inadvertent, like, overthrowing of governments or corporations or any sorts of other awful things that she sometimes inadvertently ends up doing oh boy i mean all those sound great what are you talking about awful things like <laughs> those all sound fantastic unless you're the gm all right now <laughs> we're going to be starting at license level two today because that's the point where mechs start getting really distinct and wild so how about you all tell me now about your mechs you don't need to tell me like every single weapon and stuff they have because that'll take a long time but just give me a little uh background on like what kind of mech it is and sort of i guess the the coolest things that it has going on for it yeah so uh i definitely had a ball with this because i wanted to make like a traditional anime-esque mech but then i was like i don't know if that would fit real uh, so in the end, I ended up opting for kind of a, it's called an SSC Duskwing, which is a little bit of a smaller mech. It's size, how would you say, size half, size one half? Oh yeah, those are the little ones. Yeah, yeah, those are basically, uh, they're more like armor than like a like a mech that you pilot, I guess. Like you still pilot it, but it's more like... It can get through doors. Right, 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 right. Um, so those are a bit smaller. And kind of the whole thing for this is, I wish I could show a picture. You know, we could probably just link pictures of our mechs when this comes out. But this whole thing is kind of like being a sneaky-esque mech where, like, for instance, one of the traits of this frame specifically of this Duskwing is that it can become invisible. So it kind of like sneaks around and stuff like that. And it can also leave like mirror images, basically. That's so cool. Yeah. And so it's very like uh, nothing personnel, kid, and like teleports behind you. <laughs> um, and so that I think also fit with Rill's call sign, which is Ghost. So the name of this mech is, uh, well, the frame is called Duskwing, and then Rill's Duskwing is called Shadow Step, which is a call out to one of the rogue abilities in World of Warcraft, 
um, which is kind of exactly what it sounds like. So yeah, I kind of wanted to explore this part of Railwood. They're more sneaky and quiet uh, as opposed to maybe outright shooting people in the eyeball with a bow and then shaming them for it yeah <laughs> and or yes uh, uh or uh you know shooting magic out of their hands um yeah i'm just leaning more into the tactical aspect so yeah that's my thing i'm kind of looking forward to just being a real shithead and doing like hack attacks and stuff like that so for my mech, I wanted to, along with like the spec ops and thinking about Linda's like personality, I ended up going with more of a sniper type build because again, like there's that sort of like Linda really can't be passive aggressive and can't be like very like sharp with her comments if you know you get on her bad side. But also I feel like sniper can be like a really important support thing. And I think that's Linda's that she can be like very supportive of her team and her friends. And so, of course, I decided to turn that into um, the killing people version of support because uh, this is a mech game. And so I went with the um, SSC Swallowtail, which is one of the ones that can also be invisible. And it's sort of already set up like a, like a sniper setup. So it tends to be really rifle heavy. Going with the sort of Arctic Critter theme, um, the name of my mech is Arctic Fox. It has some invisibility stuff. Um, it's designed to um, do things like get really small and shoot from far away and sneak around. Um, it can deploy drones that can provide it some additional information. And most importantly, it has a custom paint job, <laughs> which was hard for me to decide because Linda, I think, would probably want to paint it like bright blue and yellow or paint a Garfield on it. So let's just go ahead and say it's got like Arctic camouflage, but then it's got a Garfield on the back like they used to paint on like World two planes instead of a sexy lady it's a garfield <laughs> <laughs> i also built a smith shimano corpro mech i built the monarch it is i feel very much in line with desi i'm going to plow through and get this done as efficiently as possible for a change redemption arc so it is a artillery type mech it is loaded with missiles and other self-propelled ordnance. Um, it's also quite agile and a bit on the larger side. One of its sort of specialty weapons that I'm kind of excited about is something called the um, Javelin Rockets, which basically just auto-fire if a target gets close. Oh, nice. Stay the fuck back. <laughs> disaster is going to make some disasters. <laughs> to go with Desi's very deep desire to be finally taken seriously and redeem herself for past fuck-ups and to maybe intimidate people so that way she can just get this mission done as fast as possible. She named her mech Tourniquet. All right, this is going to be a uh, very interesting game with some wild combat going on, and I'm excited to get into it. Me too. Yeah, yeah I'm definitely going to live through Genevieve and Ziva because it seems like their kits are more like the kind of cool anime, like fuck off, shoot missiles or snipe people from across the battlefield type thing, which just makes me think of Gundam and I want to be a Gundam, but that that, that, <laughs> that wouldn't really fit my play style for real, I think. So I'm, I'm just going to live vicariously through you guys. Yeah, but you get to wear like a basically a mech suit, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah you get to be Ripley. <laughs> yeah. Alright, so I think we've covered just about everything we're going to cover in this pregame discussion. I think we're ready to get started. Let's yes, do it. let's go. Let's blow some stuff up. Alright, yeah. So let's hop back to our friends at the library. 
you've kind of noticed by now that there is a certain rhythm to things. You go out on a mission, you come back, you have a few weeks off. You go out on a mission, you come back, you have a few weeks off. So Zen and Rill and Linda are kind of feeling like it's going to be time soon. They're starting to expect it. They know that any day now, they're going to open their journal and find the call to the book drop. Desi does not have this luxury. Desi is sent out more and more sporadically and less and less often. And so it does come as a surprise to Desi when that journal flips open and there is an assignment listed there. How's Desi feeling? Maybe this was a mistake. Wait, maybe this is my chance. Oh no, what if it's my last chance? I hope I'm going with someone who's better at this than I am. <laughs> um, this will be fine. This will be fine. This will probably be, this won't be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> The library does not care about panic or second thoughts. The library just does what the library does. And it doesn't, it's not kind enough to tell you who you're going to be sent out with. So Desi won't know until she gets to the bookshop who she is going with. As for the others, Rill and Linda, uh, what do you think you're doing when you get the notice? You know, I could say sleeping, but Rill's been doing that the past few times. And even if it is, what is most likely? Uh, let's say they're they're playing video games with Dumpling. Does Dumpling have opposable thumbs? Is Dumpling capable of playing? I don't video know, games? but they do have six arms and six paws. So <laughs> I don't know. Like I don't really have a personality for Dumpling. Like it, it's fun because it's kind of like we're doing this all at the Dumpling is our Dumpling, you know. And so it seems, at least from 13th age, they are somewhat intelligent. Not, not like sentient, but like actually intelligent. So I would say even if uh, Dumpling does not have opposable thumbs, they do have, like I mentioned, six paws. So they could just like slam on the, <laughs> on the buttons and, and joystick. So Rill's probably just watching in wonder as, as Dumpling plays video games. Um, because also it's very cute. And if Instagram was a thing, then uh, I think they'd be viral. I'm imagining that Rill's put down, like, a DDR mat, and Dumpy is just, like, jumping <laughs> from arrow to Yes, arrow. they've probably done that, too. They've done Ring Fit Adventure. Uh, is there, like, a Mario Kart where there's, like, a you, you use a steering wheel? They've probably done that. Uh, they've done all kinds of stuff. Wait, but Ring Fit Adventure requires you to, like, do, like, what's it called? Um, squats? Well, not, well, squats, but also where you, like, put the Ring Fit between your thighs and then have to squeeze it with your thighs? Oh, uh, Rill helps. Well, they, Rill would at first help with that, and then they would get tired, and then after that they uh, would both cheat, where they just like hold it at the thigh position and then just squeeze it to like dumpling, and Rill would both just squeeze it. <laughs> I'm just imagining six little paws like pushing the thing in. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That is how that works. <laughs> So Linda has come into a bit of a routine at the library, which at first, you know, was kind of nice because it's like she plans her book club meetings, she bakes, she hangs out with her friends. 
But since she realized how much downtime is really involved with being a librarian, it's become a little like ho-hum for her. So she decided that, you know, she's got access to like all this great knowledge. Maybe it's time for her to learn a new skill. And so she has um, taken up knitting recently. She went into like the labyrinthine corridors of the library and went and found some new knitting books and grabbed some new um, needles and yarn from one of those Eldritch storage rooms and has been trying to learn some knitting. She wants to um, make some scarves for her friends um, because she thinks Christmas is coming up. She's not like totally sure because time doesn't pass normally, but at some point it's going to be Christmas and you should give Christmas presents to your office friends. Sounds like 2020. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows what the passage of time is? Yeah, thank God that's over. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so Linda feels like it's going to be Christmas at some point, so she is practicing knitting for her friends, and she's also maybe working on like a little like cat jumpsuit, like a little cat sweater for Aww. Dumpy. Oh my God. She's having to adapt the patterns because they're all meant for four-legged cats and not six-legged cat eldritch beings, but um, but she's doing her best and she's enjoying it. The first couple scarves she makes look god-awful, but, um, <laughs> but Linda's not deterred. Um, she knows she will be competent at it if she practices enough and it gives her something different to do um, and of course she's still holding book club meetings and she's still baking and hanging out with Rill and Zen but when she's on her own just kind of like chilling she's spending a lot of time practicing her knitting yeah Zen is still just basically sparring with anyone who will fight her finding a, the, the weapon she's carrying around these days is just a big hammer what the fuck like a mace no, it's like one of those mauls with like the spike on one end and the hammer on the other. I, a war hammer, that's what it's called. It has a name. Okay. That okay. makes me feel slightly better. When you said big hammer, I was imagining like you just go into Home Depot and you're like, that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so she has gotten that rhythm down and she, since she knows the call is going to be coming up any day now, she has her journal with her at all times. And when those pages flip open, and she sees on that page, Distress Call on Planet Mestos, she is the first one to the book drop. So Rill, as I've mentioned, is not the best organized, but with Dumpling there, Dumpling helps them keep track of that. I imagine Dumpling has a little, not like backpack, but like a little sling type thing that is backpack-esque that holds the book. Just because, you know, Dumpling will probably be with Rill, or if they're not, then they'll find Rill. Uh, so when the book vibrates, Rill would be like, ah, yes, this is convenient. Thank you. And Dumpling would make them read it, and then they would also uh, head towards the book drop with both shoes in not hand, but foot, I guess. <laughs> this is character development. It is. As character I say, growth. yeah. Thanks, Dumpling. <laughs> this is emotional support Eldrick. Yeah, it's like a uh, it's like the back of those cars with the adoption stickers. I was like who saved who. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's 100% Dumpling is the betterment for Rill because Rill did not save Dumpling. Uh Rill just found them in in a door and possibly kidnapped them, but they didn't seem to mind, so it should be okay, question mark. <laughs> We have to discuss the ethics of eldritch adoption. <laughs> it's fine. Say, so Dumpy didn't didn't like start screaming or anything at 13th age, so I'm gonna assume <laughs> Dumpy's okay with it. Yeah, I mean, Dumpling's probably seen more weird shit than any of the rest of them. Uh, so you know, who knows? We'll f maybe we'll find out. 
So Linda usually keeps a pretty close eye on her journal. She has her hands full of knitting supplies when she hears it buzz. But she, you know, as usual, sort of keeps an eye on it. She looks over and she uh, tucks all her knitting stuff in her bag and uh, heads out to the book drop and makes sure that uh, she brings a little Tupperware that she always keeps around with at least some goodies in it. She isn't sure who's going to be anchoring, so she's brought her knitting with her just in case it's her. She has not quite figured out that it like rotates since they haven't been on that many missions. So she's like, if I'm going to be anchoring, I might as well take some downtime to keep working on my scarves while they're not around. I don't have to worry about them catching me working on their Christmas present. Desi was probably in her room, um, and her room is just piled high with notebooks and binders and papers and whiteboards. And some of it is hers, some of it is stuff that she was probably supposed to deliver someplace else in the library, but she got distracted. So when her book flips open, it knocks over a whole stack of binders and books. It kind of startles Desi, and she quickly grabs a whole bunch of everything around her and puts it into a big duffel bag, like one of those big satchels, because she has no idea what the mission is. It's been so long since she's been on a mission. This probably was a mistake, but she's bringing a bunch of stuff just in case. None of it will be useful. And then she runs out as fast as she can to the book drop. So we're all assembled, and Zen is excited to see Linda and Real there. Zen's flipping through the journal, trying to see if she can figure out any more information. And when Desi arrives, you know, Desi is known throughout the library, but has not been on any missions with the three of them, obviously. And Zen looks up and is like, oh, hey, uh, it's Dizzy, right? Um, Desi! <laughs> you need something? It's Desi, not Dizzy, please. But at least it's you guys. Um, it could be worse. Okay, okay, this isn't so bad. Uh, I think Rill would quietly wave at Desi, and then Dumpling would also put up a hand, or paw, and wave. Desi would wave, like, both hands over her head above seeing Rill, and say, like, oh, it's Rill, thank goodness. Uh, A friendly face. uh, sup, Des? It's kind of funny seeing, uh, seeing you here, um... But, I, you know, this is this is cool. I think you could be, like, a real asset to us, because, honestly, we're not good at thinking. Uh, no one's <laughs> ever said that to me before. Oh, <laughs> wow, that made me a little sad, but, um... <laughs> Can I hug you? I'm gonna hug yeah, you. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, hugs. hugs it's an great. awkward hug. Yeah. It's, it, it's a very awkward <laughs> hug. I assume you're not reciprocating. Uh, well, dump, I think I think Rill's holding Dumpling, so it's kind of like Dumpling. It's like a Dumpling sandwich between, like, Desi and Rill. <laughs> Since Desi seems to be excited to see them and immediately goes into hugging mode, Linda uh, really excitedly comes over and says, Oh, it's so nice to finally meet you in person. Uh, I'm Linda. You've probably seen my book club flyers around. Desi reaches into her big satchel of notebooks and binders and pulls one out and starts flipping through like she's looking for the flyer to the book club and then gets sad because... There's no rhyme or reason to any of Desi's notebooks. Um, <laughs> they're like Faulkner S stream of consciousness. And she's <laughs> quietly closed them. It's like, I know I have it somewhere. I'll, it's, 
I'm gonna come someday, I promise. <laughs> oh, don't worry about it. And she uh, reaches into her bag and pulls out the Tupperware and says, Would you like a ginger snap? Real, do you want a ginger snap? Zen? Ginger snaps for anyone? Uh, <gasps> I love sweets. May, may I? Absolutely. Desi eats it right away. This is like the this is like the most kindness Desi's probably seen in a while. Oh, God. <laughs> so, uh, Dizzy. Um, sorry, Desi. Uh, do you need something? I'm supposed to go on a mission, I guess? Zen does a double take, looks into her journal. It's like, huh. Okay. Um, uh, it'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, is there, is there like, something wrong? No, 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 I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure it'll be oh, fine. Listen, okay. I don't know what you've heard about me, Zen, but, like, that's behind me. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to go off mission and go off on my own because I think it's faster to overthrow the local, like, nobility in order to reach our goal. Um, this is, this is my chance to prove to you, to all of you, and to prove to the library that, like, I can be a good archivist. Only sticking to the mission this time. You have my word. You can do it. I mean, for what it's worth, I already think you're a good archi- Like, was there ever, like, a uh, a job description? Because I never got a job description. <laughs> so, I mean, like, who's to say whether you are or aren't a good archivist? Like, you know, I, I think you're cool. Then Are these the dog biscuit ones? Because I really like those. Or are these just, like, normal ginger snaps for not dog people? These are just normal ginger snaps. But oh. I did put, I did use some of that flour I used in the dog biscuits. Oh, so okay. it's got a little something going for okay, it. Okay, great. Okay, fantastic. And then they would take the ginger snaps, one for them and one for dumpling, and then go eat. Zen looks back into her journal and says, okay, it looks like I'm anchoring this time, but this can't be right. It says we're investigating a planet. Um, Oh, like Star Trek. Oh. Like, like a whole planet oh. or like what what does that mean like investigate like that's a that's a lot uh distress call from a planet called mestos are we supposed to investigate an entire planet i don't think so i mean like maybe they'll give us more information when we land um we don't have that kind of time i mean okay well i mean you don't know what the distress call is i mean maybe when we go down we're gonna have a ship uh, yeah, that's true. She's got a point. Am I finally going to get to go on a mission where I'm not expected to camp in some creepy woods? Uh, I mean, I guess that would be ideal, but we don't really know for sure because I don't know what... All woods are creepy. Uh, well, I mean, you know, trees are nice sometimes as long as there's no killer spirits or people trying to kill us in our sleep or... Or killer trees. Yes. Killer trees are also <laughs> creepy. Yeah. Oh, not a fan. Let's <laughs> let's talk about something else. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm I'm getting more here now. It says you're investigating a distress call from the colony of Wayland on planet Mestos. Oh, none of this means anything. Uh, to me. well, like a colony. You know, you know what a colony is, right? Like yes, yeah, yeah. It's like a settlement, right? Okay, so there's there's some kind of distress call out of settlement. I mean, that seems so. We've narrowed it down. Yeah, that seems pretty straightforward. I mean, usually we just jump through the door and then they yeet us out into wherever the fuck, you know. So <laughs> I I'm not worried about. it. I'm sure we'll figure it out. They probably just need us to solve some kind of ethical problem i they do that all the time on star trek you know mr spock and uh do you do you have that do you have that on your world 
Is Spock an archivist? I haven't met Spock. I don't think so. I have seen some Star Trek, but I don't know. When I hear distress beacon from a colony, I think monstrous space spiders. Oh. Listen, whatever it is, this is Desi's redemption arc. (laughs) I'm going to do it. I'm not going to get sidetracked. I'm not going to do anything weird. We're just going (laughs) to find the anomaly and get out. Linda is delighted that you know some of the things from her world. So she can stop explaining what the fuck Garfield is. Um, Garfield is an abomination. Oh, oh well, oh, no, that's, oh, that's, no, <laughs> no, this is, I mean, I don't know. Uh, but Linda's also slightly concerned by the fact that you say Desi's redemption arc out loud. Yeah. Did you say that in third person? <laughs> Desi oh, does. <laughs> Listen, Desi has a, a lot of people don't talk to Desi. Desi's, socially awkward <laughs> hey R- real gets it desi's clearly spent a lot of time alone <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so it doesn't look like you're getting any gear this time it says the library is going to fabricate an identity for you and everything you need will be there when you arrive oh well uh i think we can handle that i mean isn't that what's kind of they've done for us in the past you know zen like you became a like a person type thing uh in sweet yeah let's not talk about okay that. You're, i'm sorry i apologize <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it, it looks like this time you're not meeting a contact so much as it says he's your pilot uh like a I wonder what that means like a cab driver like he's gonna be driving us around like what's his name so zen holds up her journal and in it there's like a pencil sketch uh that the journal has fabricated of a man with dark skin and a warm smile. And the name written under the sketch is Rocky Hansen. Oh, he looks nice. Uh, he's smiling. Yes. That's like, that's more than what most people have done when we land. Um, so <laughs> I, I like him so far. And she reads aloud, it says, journal says, this is Rocky Hansen, the pilot of the HS Octavia. It looks like that's where you're going to arrive. Okay, cool. Um, I think we can handle that. Yeah. I don't think I need any of my notebooks or my binders, so I guess I'll just leave them here. Yeah, you can just probably just shove it underneath the couch. um, And usually people, you know, that's where I put things I don't want to think about anymore. Zen, will you watch them for me? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Dizzy. Um, Dizzy. (laughs) Ryl will walk up and hand Zen Dumpling. And just be like, okay, this this time dumpling, I think it's best if you stay with Zen, you know, just in case, uh, you know, I, you know, I just not, you know, not comfortable if, uh. This feels like one of those problems where it's like you have a fox, a hen, and a bag of grain, and you have to get over the, <laughs> the river. <laughs> yeah. Wait, is Zen the river? <laughs> no, Zen is the fox. <laughs> no! No! <laughs> Linda gives you, like, the sharpest look, both because she wants you to be a little nicer to Desi, and also, do not fucking eat dumpling. Linda doesn't use the word fucking, but but that's the look she's giving you. Zen holds up a clawed hand and says, I will not eat dumpling. Today. Or my notebooks. Please don't eat my notebooks. I, I'm not going to eat those either. Okay. They're high in fiber. When you say you're not going to eat dumpling, you mean like this, this dumpling here. Not like a dump. This isn't some like genie shit where it's like, oh, I wish for world peace. And then like everyone's gone. And it's like, oh, the world's peaceful. It's like this dumpling. Okay. I will not eat your eldritch cat. Thank you. 
and then Pat Dumpling on the head, and then it crawls up on Zen, Zen's shoulder, like a spider. <laughs> a cute little spider. <laughs> all right. So that's all I know, Zen tells you. I guess we're ready to go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean. Hey, what's the what's the worst that could happen? Uh, we I, die. I wouldn't. Probably. <laughs> I'll pull you out of there before you can die. You know that. Okay. Well. You know, I mean, you know, things happen. Um, and Rail's just saying this as they're walking towards the door, and they're just like looking back at you guys, and then they just like step over the edge, like just very nonchalantly. <laughs> <laughs> so they're gone. <laughs> I guess Linda will follow in after. Uh, Desi's a little bit slower and kind of realizes this is her time to shine, and scampers after Linda and Drill. All right. So you all step through the book drop. You would think that it would get easier over time, that your body would adjust to the feeling of falling through, but it doesn't. The void changes more than just your body and your mind. It stretches you thin, yanks you back and forth, breaking and remaking you. It's never clear how long this takes. It seems to happen slowly so that the stress doesn't tear you apart, but it's also over in an instant. When you come back to yourself, your feet are on solid ground again, and... You find that you know this place. The library, in all of its strange otherworldly power, has sensed that this world is far removed from your own, and has helped you to adjust somehow. That must be what it meant by fabricating an identity for you. This place is strange and unfamiliar and advanced, but you don't find yourself overwhelmed by it. You are on the HS Octavia, a spaceship. It's all sleek lines and smooth chrome, with cool blue holographic interfaces hovering over every panel. You know, somehow, that the Octavia is part of a humanitarian aid group. Right now you're in the rec room, which is somewhat less jarring than the rest of the ship must be. There's a pool table, a fridge full of snacks and drinks, a white screen hanging down from the ceiling with holographic images projected over it. Some sort of TV show, or what passes for it at this time and place. So, as you settle in and adjust, why don't you tell me what your characters look like in this far future world of Lancer? So, real, they look very different from what they're usually like. Because everyone in this world, or realm, is like a human, right? E- even though there's like mods that you can like mod yourself and stuff like that. Right, so in Lancer, there are no aliens. Um, there were, but we wiped them out or something like that uh it's all there in the lore but all of the player (laughs) characters are humans but they did you just brush aside genocide i just don't know i don't know the lore well enough to uh confirm or deny but yes everyone is a human but there are you know high levels of augmentation that are available yeah, because I want to be mean to Rill. Uh, they have none of that except for this kind of like comlink thing that they have implemented. But that's like very, you know, that's more like a Google smart glass than anything in my mind. Um, so they're totally human. Uh, they have like light skin, kind of like, was it the same, not the same hue. Oh man, I need color words. But it's like, you know, the light purple, but you just you just shift the little color marker so that they're like light skin color like like the saturation or yeah i don't i don't know the words but you you guys know what i mean and they have no tails no horns no wings uh no 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 pokey ears they're just a human in i guess if they're in the rec room it'd be more like like civvies type stuff i guess um or at least not like their pilot suit necessarily so they're just kind of in the plain clothes not plain clothes but like regular uniform 
and yeah, that's what they look like. I'll get into how they're acting uh, after everyone else. <laughs> Linda looks uh, relatively normal. Uh, she still looks like a normal human woman. She's not wearing a ton of like fancy armor. She doesn't have a ton of like like augmentations or anything like that. But she is wearing like a like a pilot uniform um, as usual with Linda. It's bright blue, like almost hard to look at with yellow accents. And tied over it is an old worn plaid like flannel to help uh, beat off a little bit of the uh, the cold of space. Desi is, since she was human before, she's still human. Her hair, which used to be kind of a mess, like, and her clothes, which used to be kind of disheveled, have changed. Her her hair is now pulled back into a tight, very professional, like, very, like, military, like, ponytail. She's definitely got, like, a side shape going on. She looks, like, very severe. She's wearing her pilot's uniform, like, but it's, like, blood red with, like, some black accents. You can tell sort of from underneath that, like, her joints have been augmented, as have probably one of her eyes. It's sort of hard to tell because it's, like, a little bit of a different color. And she's clearly ready to, like, she wore glasses when she was in the library. She's no longer wearing glasses. She looks calm and collected and ready to get the business. All right. So now that you're all here, how do you react to being in this new place? I'm trying to think what would hit real first, uh, the scenery or their own body. Uh, probably the scenery, because, you know, like a kid at the candy store, they see all this cool shit, and they're just like, like, I just imagine instead of, like, kind of falling into the world, like, what happened in 13th Age, maybe they kind of appear, like, on a couch or whatever, um, and so they're sitting, they see all this cool shit, they're like, oh, this is fucking, uh, cool as fuck because it's just like what you know one of those sci-fi movies and they probably want to like uh run around touching everything and then they 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 stand up they are not used to the weight uh they kind of fall back down on the couch and they're just like uh the, it takes them a, mo- a moment to like figure out what like why does their body feel weird they've got no counterbalance yeah yeah exactly and then they're just like running uh, their hands through their hair as they like try to figure out what's going on, and there's definitely something missing. And then when they're just like, they're just like stunned because they're like, uh, <laughs> just kind of their brain is still processing what has happened at the moment. <laughs> Linda is gonna look around and just try and like take everything in to the best of her ability because she knows like OG Star Trek she's looking around and she's like okay yeah spaceship alright the future okay um and like she's like reasonably comfortable with what's happening though she's a bit surprised to see that she's wearing this like sick ass like pilot suit um just because like that's not necessarily what she would have thought of but you know she's cool with it um but when she sees the person who she realizes is real um trip and fall she's like oh no <laughs> and she's uh. <laughs> instantly worried about you because uh she knows that this is like way outside of your comfort realm being in a human body yeah as soon as like linda says that uh real just looks at her with like wide eyes and it just like grabs her is like do i look fucked up is this what <laughs> do i look fucked up what tell me tell me what i look like real, right now it's okay real 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 it's okay just look like a person. Desi interrupts. She is not really taking that much time to acquaint herself to her surroundings. And 
sort of looks at the both of you and says, "You both are fine." And I, I, I am. I am not fine. I'm. I, I'm <laughs> no, Rare, no. It's okay. It's okay. You're just. You not are purple. fine. You're just not purple, and you don't have horns. It's okay. It's gonna be okay. I'm missing appendages. You will get them back <laughs> at the end of the mission. Let's get have on the mission. Have you ever lost appendages before, Desi? You have no idea what I've lost. Uh, what? Anna <laughs> um, <laughs> puts her arm around your shoulder and she says, it's okay, you've still got the important ones. It's alright. You've still got all the arms and all the legs. You're gonna be okay. My tail was the best part of me. You will get your tail back. Zen pipes up. Yeah, buddy, I can sympathize. <laughs> uh, I wanna go that's home. Rough, buddy. I wanna go home. Yeah, that's a rough buddy. Listen, drill. If we hurry up and get this done, we'll go home. Okay. They take a deep breath and they're like, "Okay, okay, yep, you're you're right. We just uh uh we just have to uh get this mission done and then we can go home." Uh, you know, uh, Zen Zen's done this before. I I can I I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. <laughs> they're just we- weeping into Linda's shoulder. <laughs> Linda gives you a pity pat. She's just gonna, she's gonna let you just get it out. We good? They're not good, but you know you're not gonna get anything else out of them for now. <laughs> so suddenly, a light on the ceiling turns on, and a holographic projection appears in the center of the room. It's a familiar figure, though with all of the lines and details smoothed off. It's Zen. What? Zen, are you are you in the ceiling? The zen in your head back at the library says to you, what is that? Oh, it's, uh... So is this like... It looks like zen. It's a holographic projection. Uh, do you know what's going on, zen? So when you say that, the projection responds and says in a robotic voice, Hello, Lancers. You are needed in the hangar bay. Have you ever wanted a podcast that tackles the hard questions? Like, why do wizards wear those pointy hats? Is it morally okay to burn your name into a table? Is there a difference between dead and never waking up? Well, if you've ever wanted to know the answers to any of these questions, then I have a podcast for you. We are Goblets and Gaze, a bi-weekly Pathfinder 2E podcast. Join our cast of an angsty barbarian, a pyromaniac goblin, a girl whose family loved astrology a little too much a cultist, and a hot topic reject as they journey to a lost city and try to keep a twink alive. Follow us all on your social media at Goblets and Gaze, join our Discord as well, and we hope to see you out there. Goodbye! The Eternity Archives is hosted, produced, and edited by Dorka, Kite, and Siva. Find us on Twitter at at thearchivespod or online at theeternityarchives.com. Our intro music is Paint the Sky by Hans Adam, and sound effects are obtained from zapsplat.com. Check out our show notes for more information and some helpful resources. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Eternity Archives on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. Consider supporting us by telling your friends about us, or leave us a tip at our Ko-fi page, ko-fi.com slash theeternityarchives. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Be gay. Roll dice. 
an LGBTQIA actual play podcast network.